Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A week before Thanksgiving, I was blessed to spend some time with some of my favorite youth, um, with whom I serve as a spiritual companion. We are pilgrims together on the way. And one of these young people, he had a photo on his phone of a storefront church near the campus of his Episcopal boarding school. His tone was a mix of curiosity and disgust. I was kind of proud. As he asked me, he said, Mother Holly, exactly what kind of church is this? The picture said, the Greater Holiness Fire Baptized End Times Church. The Greater Holiness Fire Baptized End Times Church. And all around the sign were these bundles of what I think was intended to be wheat, but it really looked like flames that were just engulfing this sign. And in the windows, there were white poster boards, and they were hand-lettered, well-hand-lettered, really, kind of reminiscent of Comic Sans, but that could have been someone else's joke. (laughs) Repent or suffer destruction, said one of them. And repent or die, repent or die, read the other. It's no wonder that Christianity and repentance have such a horrible reputation and status for so many in our community, really throughout our country, right? With threats like this on display as the face of so many Christian houses of God. So if you go to the Intertron and you get your Google box out and you put in different combinations of repent, Christian, destruction, end times, you'll find link after link to churches with Christian identities which carry similar messages. There's the 11th hour remnant messenger church, the church of the sons of Yahweh, the holy order ministry, the restoration assembly of Elohim, the rhythm is going to get you. Okay, that's not real. Just check in to see if you all are with me. And of course, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church. Well, Barbara Brown Taylor writes that churches such as these operate like a court of law. They are places where sin and sinners are loudly denounced. And punishments are eagerly doled out, punishments that fit the crime. And these churches single out fall guys. Well, let's just call them what they are. They They single out victims, really, for punishment, and they always seem to be people who are different. They're always the people who don't look like their virtuous, upstanding accusers. They're people who don't fit into the black and white worldview. And these indicters, they wag their fingers at the other, the other who needs to repent, always the other who needs to change. And these righteous rule followers, they never seem to have to see things differently. They never seem to have to be the ones who change their angle or their perspective or do any of the work to repair 
the world's brokenness. And while the secular world turns away in horror from these dismal displays of hatred and judgment found in these communities, mainliners like us, Christians like us, sometimes we just navel-gaze and seem embarrassed that anyone even talk about sin. Christians often like us, we stare at our feet and we wonder why we're even mentioning remorse or contrition or sin or, or repentance, right? I mean, Advent's about quiet. It's about quiet and it's about preparation. It's not about sin and repentance, we promise. Slow down, meditate. We're all here just waiting for God's love, for the joy of the baby Jesus. We're Episcopalians. We love everybody, right? The Episcopal Church welcomes you. Love God, love neighbor, and while you're at it, love yourself. All of those things are true. I mean, we're not bad like those other bad Christians. So don't sneer at us. Don't ridicule us. Don't deride Christianity. I mean, come to the church, we implore. You'll see no talk of repenting here. Well, Taylor calls those churches clinic churches, where sin-sick patients receive sympathetic care for the dis-ease that we all share. And we sigh together, oh well, we're all sinners. And God loves us, and there's just no point on dwelling on things that are wrong because, well, well, God loves us, and we're caught up in a system that's full of sin, and all we can do is come to church on a Sunday and confess and be forgiven and then just drift back out into the real world and do it again next week. Well, churches like this have no use for repentance because repentance demands that we claim accountability for what is broken in the world and then actually do something about it. So we go along pretty calmly each year and it's not the decorations or the cards that herald the advent of the Christmas season for us, but it's, it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who courtesy of the lectionary, pushes his way to the front of the Christmas stage every year about this time. I find John fascinating. He has this rugged appearance. He has a no-nonsense style. He has a wonderful disregard for what others think about him about the way he looks, the way he speaks, most likely the way he smells in his stinking camel hair and his locusts hanging out of his mouth. And here he is, this much maligned prophet. He's hated by a broad section of the establishment. He's bursting out of the lectionary to say things we don't want to hear. He tromps right into our lovely nice day liturgy right into our self-complacent shoulder-shrugging and cries, Repent! Repent, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Whew. John sounds just like those folks from all of those other Christian churches that we consider so loathsome, warning us about the coming of a Jesus who's going to weed out and burn the chaff inaugurating what sure sounds to me like the greater holiness fire baptized end times church. So are we wrong then? Are the condemning churches the right ones? Are they the ones that are following scripture? I mean, do we really have to repent or we're going 
to burn up in a destructive fire? I believe we do have to repent. We do have to repent, but we can't take that word at face value, and we sure can't abuse people with it. I think the word repent may be the very worst translation in the entire New Testament. Our English word comes from the Latin root meaning to be sorry again. And we usually understand it to mean that we're supposed to tell God we're sorry for the wrongs that we've done. We're supposed to regret the rules that we've broken. I mean, the act of repenting is in a sense an act made up of words, and it makes it sound like repentance is maybe just a fancy church term for forgiveness. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry I was running late this week and I didn't do morning prayer every day, but next week will be different and I will pray every day. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry I passed up that guy on the light rail. I didn't even look him in the eye, but I see him every day, but next week I will stop and I will talk to him. I'll even bring him some food. I'm sorry, God, that I yelled at the dog because no thumbs, big teeth, she ate every Hershey kiss. I don't know that I'm even angry. She didn't eat any of the wrappers, just the chocolate. I'll keep my temper tomorrow. Well, for prophets like John, repentance means something very different. The Hebrew word translated as repent actually means to turn both physically and metaphorically, to turn and amend our ways, the Hebrew prophets cry. Stop what you're doing. Take a good look at yourselves. Stop the greed. Stop the godlessness. Stop the violence. Stop the commercialism. Stop the exploitation. Stop. Stop it, they cry. The Greek word that Matthew uses in today's gospel is best translated as to reset to reorder. So repentance is a reorientation of our entire being, a letting go of our attempts to direct our own lives. And it really requires putting ourselves entirely in God's hands and in repenting, giving up everything that tells us who we are and what is expected of us, what the rewards will be, what the punishment will be of acting and thinking in certain ways. We let ourselves be remade from bottom to top. It's actually the opposite of what some of our Christian siblings are doing in their communities. John's statement is not about condemnation for condemnation's sake. It's about repentance because the Christ is coming. This fruit of repentance is not some action that we take on our own. It's not some halo we set apart ourselves from other sinners. It's a radical freedom, a freedom to be ourselves, the selves that God created and that God sustains and that God raises up, that self that will go forth in directions that we could never ask or imagine while we're trying to control and do everything. Repentance opens us up. It opens us to prayer, and prayer leads us to service, and service leads us to that way of the kingdom, 
to go out into the world to do the work that God has given us to do and to be with Jesus. It's kind of like that shoot of Jesse that all of our readings mention today in our, our hymnody. It's that divine, generative, transformative power that makes the dead wood and the sawed-off trunks of our lives sprout in new directions, filled with new life, unlike what we've been before. What a bountiful fruit that is. And how hard it is. How hard it is to let go. The Pharisees and the Sadducees that John wants to shake up with his harsh words in the gospel reading, they're meant for us as well, that we have to let go. We have to let go of those places of privilege. We have to let go of those things that we believe make us better than others. We have to let go with that idea that we're rowing in a boat by ourselves and we'll take care of ourselves, thank you very much. But letting go and turning all of our conceptions of self and world entirely over to God's crazy mystery, it's difficult. I think it's probably the most difficult work we will ever, ever encompass in our lifetime. The giving up, the giving back, the giving over, the turning. I don't know about you, I'd have to do it every day. And not just once. It's not like I get up and I hit my knees and pray, God, take it all from me. And then at midnight I say, thank you, God, for not letting me take any of it back. It takes me 30 to 40 minutes to have to ask again. Wow, God, that didn't go so well. Can you take it back again? Wow, God, that was not an email I wanted to write. Will you take it back again? I shouldn't have answered the phone with that tone. Will you take that back again? There was that guy at the light rail again. Please take that from me, Lord. And thank God we don't have to do the work alone. Thank God we have this community of Trinity Cathedral, this place where each of us comes with our own dis-ease, with our own fears, with our own brokenness. Thank God we have the body of Christ here gathered in this holy place to support us as we turn again and turn again, and turn again toward God. As for me, I find myself constantly needing to let go and to turn back, let go of things that are in my life I shouldn't have. What about you? What do you need to let go of this Advent? What do you need to turn away from? Maybe it's time to turn away from the shame that says you are less than. Maybe it's time to turn away from the fear that you're not worthy. Maybe it's time to turn away from traditions that just turn into dysfunction and quarrels. Maybe it's time. Of what do you need to repent? Repent.